0: Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. I am Stephen Drew from the Architectural Social, and I'm joined here by royalty, royalty from around the world, Vona Harris, aka the Baron of Bim. Hello. I've never, Baron, Mr. Baron, I've never, I've never had royalty. Yeah, you're like the first royal guest on the architecture social, and I'm privileged. The only thing is, you'll have to apologise. I'm not worthy. I didn't roll out a red carpet. Please forgive me. But how are you today?
1: <laughs> hey, thanks, Stephen. <laughs> I love the digital red carpet. There's nothing wrong with a virtual red carpet.
0: And We'll uh, do it. We'll, yeah. we'll 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 put, we'll roll out the virtual red carpet. And so we've spoken a little bit. We originally spoken on LinkedIn, but for anyone that's not familiar with yourself and and what you do, do you want to give a bit of an insight uh, about who you are? Yeah, I must first
1: correct you on the Baron. Uh, there's no royalty there.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately,
1: living down what? the deepest, darkest, darkest of Africa at the moment, there's no there's no royalty this side. Yet, although the Baron of BIM is self-proclaimed, I think much like any other BIM manager is self-proclaimed. So yes, I I found the status and I stick to it. I think many of you know me through social media, and I think Yo, that's where we met. It's been a fantastic, I think, journey just watching the whole uh, social architecture group it's actually you know for me it's great to be a part of it and i think uh, many of your followers they're they're just as passionate as me and i think you know we have this unrivaled opportunity to use digital media as well as social media to maybe just pick cherry pick these valuable lessons that we're learning and great well done to you great it's good to be part of the show
0: yeah, sure, of course. Well, I'm more interested in you. Okay. And and this is what's been fantastic because at first I think you you it was one of the live streams and I think you said hello and probably even geographically due due to geographic because I'm based in the UK, you're based in South Africa. I wasn't familiar with um I wasn't familiar for instance with exceptional bim which now I am, cause I'm quite, I'm, 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 which rule am I, uh, on? I'm, I'm rule number nine, I think, aren't I? About, uh, hiring a raw yeah. talent, which awesome. was, which was really fun. And I wasn't familiar with it before. So I had a lot of fun with that, but for context here. So currently you run exceptional BIM, uh, foundation. And so. Do you, want to, do you want to let everyone know about the Exceptional <laughs> yeah, bin Foundation? It, I
1: think, you know, let's take
0: a few steps back and look at where, you know, sort of
1: where I've come from. But yet, I think I'm pretty much outspoken, not just at social media, but my responsibilities and experience through leadership and development within the construction industry, particularly here in South Africa and other African continents, uh, countries, should I say. Um, I'm pretty much known uh, for my, I think my strong opinions, as well as that ceaseless energy. <laughs> and that led—you call it evangelism, if you want—but <laughs> um, I founded the BIM Institute uh, five years ago for South Africa, and that's still running now at the moment. And that led to you know the BIM Academy Africa, which became the the sort of the engine room behind driving guidelines and looking at how do we dramatically improve standards as well as uh, con- uh, technology across the, the sort of the, the footprint of of Africa and follow. The likes of, you know, the UK, Singapore, Australia, we just watch you guys make mistakes and then we just learn from them.
0: Oh, oh that's big words. So in the UK, you would, would be what I would refer to as a cheeky chap, but I quite like a bit of a cheeky chap. And I think especially in, in this kind of culture, I think it's really important for um to have a stimulating conversation and i think that's one of the things that i appreciate is that um you have to speak your mind i mean hey i don't want to get um barred from a desk or anything like that but at the same time i do think that <laughs> you can't that, you, yeah yeah <laughs> no we, we, we can go into that at some point but i do think it's important for especially everyone globally to kind of talk and and offer each other different perspectives and i think sometimes that unfortunately conversations can can to get censored before they even begin and and that's a little bit of of a shame so i mean i don't think we make a lot of mistakes here to bring it into architecture and bim so tell me tell me you mentioned earlier and i'm going to pick this up a little bit at the intro and i absolutely loved it so when you said self-proclaimed titles bim manager what did you mean by that (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, I want to, again, <laughs> I've got to be very careful of my steps. And as I said, I acknowledge the fact that I have been accused of being both uncompromising and unmindful, I think, because of my passion. Yet, right. I own that like everyone else does. And I think while assuring listeners, you know, to my opinions, they do evolve with conversations, what is case yeah. studies, the debate around new studies. And that's what makes this industry, you know, such a passion for those who have it. I think we can all agree, you know, uh, the industry is full of stakeholders that are driving to improve this sector as well as innovate it. And yeah. regardless if we talk about COVID-19 and all the challenges around it, we are facing some of our toughest challenges today with the impact of digital technologies. Sure. And it's impacted our lives everywhere, not just in the last 10 years, but the last 10 months. And it's driving this huge change across not only industry but health, healthcare, education, entertainment. Almost every mm. facet of our life is impacted, including Twitter, thanks to Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think the benefits largely outweigh the costs as well as that disruption. and that, that adoption, I think, necessitates the degree of disruption, especially when we're still seeing many of these traditional practices that are heavily ingrained in the larger traditional style of way of working. And yeah. I think we're all forced to adapt or be consigned to history. You know, some might need to explain that again to Donald Trump.
0: But- hey, it's, 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 it, I think his days are over now. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a completely mad world, but I, I mean, I guess what I appreciate is from obviously you have a lot of value and expertise. And I think exceptional BIM um, podcast. And if anyone hasn't checked it out, you can find it on YouTube with exceptional BIM. But what I quite liked with it is, is that, um, I felt like the message was quite sincere. And I think that, especially at the moment, I think. Online, you get so, so much content. You can get content from every, everywhere, but this, what's really important is to have, um, to have opinions and and content and offer expertise based upon existing experience. And I think that's the important part to make because actually, and I can even see here now, so even going through your career, you've worked within the architecture industry for so long. And I mean, you actually started out many, many years ago, South Africa as a quantity surveyor. So you know, which is which is a really important role. So what I would love to get to to Don't as well, me though. <laughs> no, never, never. Well, we were talking about it earlier, weren't we? QS and architecture. We we should be in like a design team meeting somewhere right now arguing, isn't there? But absolutely not. And I think, well, this is the important thing because BIM's all about collaboration. And I'm sure that there's an interesting avenue that you got to, which brought to you to where you are now, you know, like your career trajectory and how it went, but do you want to kind of uh, wind the clocks back a little bit and tell us uh, how, yeah. how you got an industry and what it was like as a QS on the front line?
1: Well, any QS listening would understand this statement. I, you know, I, I got out of the QS industry. I, I was just simply tired of those days where I felt that I felt that I was on the battlefield, just stabbing the wounded, you know, <laughs> I think, Many of the people don't understand the real role of a quantity surveyor, and maybe some people just think it's measuring, uh, drawing, and thumb-sucking some, some rates based on a previous job experience. And I think, for my understanding, the beauty about a quantity surveyor is someone who knows how to fix a problem that one, we, we one didn't exist in a way that he can't explain, if that means anything. Mm. Yet, if I look at my experience coming in the last 30 years, and I've been in this industry 30 years, I've got, I've got the scars to prove it. And if I look at the design professionals, especially architects who have led the way so far with BIM, and I, I see the rest of the supply chain that's falled woefully short uh, without exception. Mm. But here's the catch, though. The advantages of BIM just happen to increase further down the project line, depending on your, where your specialization sits. And although architects, I think, optimize their work processes and help decrease their risks, they still are the heavy lifters, especially with designing these models, taking responsibility of the integrity. And unfortunately, it's the larger profits that are still enjoyed by, let's say, the contractors and ultimately the clients. Now, as a quantity surveyor, we look at their industry. Most, if you want to call them an estimator, a, a cost manager, a digital quantity surveyor, doesn't matter what you want to call them, the profit margins within that industry are completely different. And I think, from my experience, the the estimators I think have remained very. Should I say the profit margins within the, the estimating industry have remained very slim over the past sort of decade, and the unpredictability of boom design process I think still poses much of a risk when it comes to looking at things such as measurement, and simply. I have to say this, but not many QSs trust the architect design. And yeah. I must say it takes a lot of trust to you know, put in put your trust into an architect who's just started playing with Revit.
0: <laughs> and yeah.
1: yet now we're hell bent on standards. There's this one also one nine six five eight 1965A so one six, five, one six, one nine six five eight Crusade. And it always reminds me of that Star Wars movie. I I used to love the Star Wars movies, but you know, when, when Anakin Skywalker <laughs> fell to the dark side pledging her loyalty to the, the Darth Sidious the, because of the fear and the anger, the resentment and the lust for power, uh, I see a very similar pattern forming within the boom industry where sometimes you feel that the boom standards have a similar pattern where you, you will join us or die, my master. I don't know if you, you sort of get that feeling is that there's this crusade to get... A standard across the, the world and indoctrinate everyone with a particular standard. May that be driven by the UK's BS1192 and PAS119 standards. Yet, among all these standards—and I'm four standards—I think we seem to forget the fact that quantity takeoff. And this is where I get to the management side that, that drove my passion when I started getting into BIM ten to twelve years ago. Is yeah. that the quantity takeoff and the measuring standards within BIM are missing. We can talk about standards all day, but for some reason, there seems to be this link. and uh, Some even call it 5D boom, believe it or not. I mean, it's, it doesn't even exist in physics. Yet the point I'm trying to make is that there's more to it than just applying a standard. And we look at some countries around the world, South Africa in particular, and many other African countries, we're still driving the standard method of measurement, volume seven. Yet... We've got African countries as well as other developing countries that are still talking about smart city development and industry 4.0, artificial intelligence, machine learning. We talk all about this, yet, governments are pushing this new technology frontier uh, without realizing the understanding of how do we break down these entrenched silos, regardless if you're doing BIM mandates or not. They're still ingrained. And unfortunately, the, the delivery method of choice on projects is what paves the way for using new innovative ways of working, regardless if you've adopted the new technology or not. And I think for many designers, we're hell-bent on understanding the design standards. But when we talk about the the measuring standard, and we talk about, let's say, a boom measuring standard, it doesn't exist. Uh, We talk about the RICS, new rules of measurement. Yes, they are probably one of the the front runners in driving standards for, for cost managers and estimators and are introducing new standards such as ICMS, the International Construction Measuring Standard. And that's great. But then just when we see there's a nice sort of tarred road heading towards a standard, we start to see the potholes popping up. And that's unfortunately, I think, where QSs are falling short of this opportunity. And the, the relationship between the quantity surveyor and the architect, I always said, is the fortune favors the brave. And that fortune is for the, the, the digital QS, who's obviously had a chance to to understand his future. And unfortunately, as, as we've seen in the last 10 months, you know, no, no one's future is guaranteed. Yet, if we ignore mm. the transformation that's happening, regardless of your profession, I think one would be naive to think that we shouldn't be discussing the top the topic of digital standard delivery among professionals before we discuss building information modeling. And I think we yeah. should all realize the fact that you know we we don't like instant change. No one likes instant change. But gradual change is imminent. And as we start to change and, and change the way we think, these these transferable skills as well as the flexibility of the way we work is going to help you know shape shift the way we work within this industry and i think that these tools these technical tools are only really the, the tip of the iceberg we really as an industry need to start diving below the surface to really see the impact that these standards are going to have not just on the design industry because right now BIM seems to be all about design and we need to break this, this myth-busting around data and models, I think, for the bigger professional industry, including quantity surveyors and the like. I don't know if, that's, if, if that is right now what we should be discussing. <laughs>
0: Wow, that was a lot that was a lot of information to unpack there, but I can see I can see I can see why you are the baron of BIM in some ways, huh? <laughs> hey, that was that was interesting. Now, I kind of caught a lot of it. The the thing is I used to use Revit many years ago when I was in industry and I was effectively um a junior architect or in the UK an architectural assistant. I mean, I've recruited on BIM over the years and uh, the one thing I can say is from from an architectural perspective, there is a huge emphasis on BIM, but the bit, the bit that I thought was interesting when you're talking about it there is that the architect actually does a lot of heavy lifting. And I think that that's a fair assumption because, um, in terms of recruitment now. I work at McDonald Company. I run the architecture team, and a lot of what McDonald Company does and what they know in the UK is they're the preferred recruitment supplier for the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. And it's really interesting because I'm probably the only person in the whole office which gets BIM roles. So we work with quantity surveyors, developers. There's no quote-unquote BIM managers there. The closest role I've had is a BIM document controller, and that was at a developer a year ago. And that was kind of a big deal because that was the first BIM role i have ever seen in a developer or a quantity surveyor. Um And, yeah, so that's where when you were talking about it, that's the kind of parallels I draw, whereas actually, as you said, a lot of architects in the UK, it's been a huge, big deal. I mean, we're a little bit behind the curve. I'm sure you'll agree compared to, uh, I remember, um, in, in basically in 2014, the best architects or BIM managers and BIM coordinators were all architects from Australia that had been using Revit for years and they'd come to the UK and quite rightly because of their skill set no one here used Revit no one understood it you know and it was this idea of how do we get to BIM level 2 and really we weren't even like BIM level 1 it was like a, well again on these standards you talk about it was kind of imaginary it was like BIM level 0 which is what basically a 3D model because it's just sitting there in the office without anyone looking at it but I, I mean, that's the comparisons I draw. And I think that. What's quite interesting though is that in terms of recruitment, and I'd love your thoughts on this as well. What I've seen this year is that I've, I've had roles with these new kind of com- well, I say new, they're companies which have been around for a few years, which are especially doing well currently in the current climate, which is, for instance, uh, BIM consultancies or BIM specialists, which looks at, um, CDM environments and software platforms. And this kind of good talks about this world that you're, you're, you're bleeding into now. And I actually last year before, the lockdown before coronavirus. I actually attended an event which was by an architect in London, which was talking about one of the you mentioned earlier the kind of the new labels of 4D, 5D, 60. And there was one which was materials and I forget which one it was Baron. I forget if which it was if it was the 4D or the 5D or the 6D. And I had that moment where I felt incredibly stupid as well. I'm like, surely there's like 3D and then there's something else like 4D and that's it. Well, it was 5D and what's 60 and 7D? Can I make an 8D? Do you know what I mean? It was just like, it was kind of going off on a tangent. And I, and there was an importance there because it was talking about, I think it was talking about material cost and energy within the platform. And I'm sure it has a place and relevance. But I literally went to this talk and I sat there and I think I drank like three or four beers because I was just, I didn't understand any of it. It went over my head. And I was there, the guy in the back by the table, you know, just hanging out, having a beer. But, Maybe you can maybe that could be something you can help me with. You can decrypt all the four Ds for oh, us, five I'm D's. This.
1: I'm loving this. And I think let us just right now, I'm I'm gonna say let's open Bimdora's box. Okay, because now's an opportunity to do this. <laughs>
0: Bimdora's box. I love it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm a bit worried what we're gonna find inside. Is it gonna be like Indiana Jones where my face melts because I don't understand it?
1: Okay. So right, let's look. I wanna start first with myth. let's myth bust this data modeling. Right now, within between the quantity surveyor and the architect, I I think in the last ten years we can all agree that this information exchange it has happened regardless of what stage you're in within the project, project schematic design, right through to the handover. And we're hearing more about now a new standard called this level of information need, and it's emitting these LODs, which is great. Now more acronyms come, regardless of your standards. I think we need to focus on the issue around workflows and the efficiencies that need to improve between the design and the estimating stage. And that's what's missing. You hear about Jog and about 5D, 6D, 7D. You can't go further than 3D if you don't have data. Right. And a 3D model is derived from a 3D BIM authoring tool. I don't call it BIM software because there's no such thing. BIM authoring tools derive the extraction of information, including quantities, and that helps us prepare, you know, the information. And this needs to obviously be prepared by the architect correctly. And call him the designer. Let it, and he's using a design tool such as Revit, Architect, Bentley, Tecla, I, I had to name one of them, sorry. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think the accuracy of the setup within the actual software directly affects the quality of the quantified data as well as the Mm. measurement. And we can't talk about any other dimension if we can't get the quantified data correct. If it is properly set up by the architect, yes, the efficiencies of paying, let's say, the dividends down the line of the project chain would improve with not only documentation, but we would see better structured data. Now I'm going to drop the bomb for those who are listening, what I'm so passionate about. The extraction of quantification, we should be looking at another standard called the level of info, I mean, the level of measurement need. Right? The level of measurement need depends upon the level of information need. And that refers to things such as your material schedules. What about your element property costs? Better leverage of data. You're your drawing on intelligence as opposed to experience. And if we look at how estimating and planning software work, it supports a variety of software formats that are derived by these, these, these these I call them the tech giants, software tools. Yet, once you've got the output from the design tool, may the force be with you. That's generally what happens. And then it's up to the estimating team to say, guys, we've got the model, we've got the format, let's do our job, what we're we good at. However, it's a problem here now starts where the design data file is a problem because the, the should we say, the levels of data richness and the functionality depends solely on how the architect set up his software design tool. So now the arrangement and that configuration of data solely depends upon the drawing file format that was given to him. And now we talk about standards all of a sudden. If we look back, not even 10 years ago, the taking the steps from a 2D paper to electro- electronic 2D drawing file format was easy. Mm. If we look at the basic 2D roster vector files in PDF, I love Bluebeam. Sorry, I've got to say that. Blue Beam rocks. But that's because of the way it works with a 2D and a 3D PDF. But we go further back and we unlock how this and technology has unlocked us and to improve the information flow using a 3D object-based model. And let's say it's got no data. That's like the light's on, but nobody's home. There's no data. There's no material classification. It's pretty much useless to anyone. And that just leaves an architect doing the dumb stuff again because he's still going to ask for his 2D electronic files because he has to do the quantity table. Now, quantification data is often not configured to best suit the measurement process of a quantity surveyor or cost manager when he gets the 3D model or the BIM model. Now, that entire project then fails because the, or fails to cash in on the availability of technology. And that initial information that's missing is now the seed for the entire team to benefit from. Mm. And this only leaves now a BIM model in a design world for things such as clash detection, uh, you know, revision functionality, maybe a little bit of um, energy analysis and, and structural analysis, that type of stuff. Yet, this word classification schema for the designer means everything. And everyone's hell-bent on talking about, oh, yes, your model must have a classification schema. It's built into ISO 12006. I agree. I'm 100% about a classification system. And this is where I think quantity surveys might agree with me. It is not the responsibility of the architect to ensure that the classification schema aligns with the way the quantity survey is going to measure.
0: Oh. That's I think you're extent. gonna win a you're gonna win a lot of friends here when you're talking about architects with less responsibility. Because I feel like I feel like we sometimes we take too much. But that's really interesting. That's really interesting. And I'm quite enjoyed going into, um, the, the Bimdoras box per se, because I think you highlight an interesting issue there. What I'd quite like to flip around in terms of another question that comes to mind is, cause I quite like your fresh and candid, no bars hold, uh, no bars held, uh, help. Cause actually it's quite nice to have someone with who believes in what they say with an honest, um, honest perspective. So Imagine. what would you say? Yeah. <laughs> what? What? So what would you say to write to an architect right now? We could talk about a QS, but the architecture social, there's going to be a lot of architects there. And so for anyone that's kind of studying now or entering the world of BIM and they kind of getting to grips with it, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is super, super important. However, they're going to encounter these problems later in their career or, you know, when, for instance, you're dealing with teams that are, all using the same bin model and we're talking about collaboration. But what is to many students, loading up a um Revit is another could be another piece of software, right? That they haven't learned yet or they're thinking about using their academic work or when they enter an architectural practice for the first time, they just sit in front of Revit and they model in a project. But what kind of advice would you give to someone who's uh starting an industry? Maybe the few tricks that they should learn or a few bits of advice so that they don't have many painful nights and have awful experiences that could be avoided.
1: Or grow gold or gray hairs like the
0: rest of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I'm going to correct you. I, I, I'm not going to tell an architect what to do. You, you've got to be cautious. You always be cautious mm. when you say those words. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what a quantity, dev- a quantity surveyor should do right now. And as I said right. before, I think the designers have paved the way how we've seen the technology that's available and what the the possibilities are and the benefits and the return on investment for especially architectural engineering firms. Yet, what would I say to a quantity surveyor wanting to work closer with an architect? It's simple. You need to start investing in tools such as Revit, Archicad, Bentley, not just the estimating tool. And the reason for that is... You cannot expect an architect to do a quantity surveyor's job, vice versa. Yet the, the, right. the, the seed here is the model. So once you have the model, the information that should be exchanged between designers and estimators right now is making sure that they receive the format in that, maybe in the native format or whatever IFC, whatever format you want it Sharing that model within a usable format allows the quantity surveyor now to invest in tools that allows him to map his own classification schema against the model without Mm. jeopardizing any IP or risk for the design team. Now, that's the type of talk that could be seen as treason for many QSs because they say, that's not our job. We are architects. Yeah, I would have had that conversation maybe 10 years ago. Mm. But this this whole new way of working, this disruption, this, this if you want, this revolution, that's a real revolution, is how do we start to understand the tools of choice used by our professionals? And I've always said, you know, you don't have to be an expert within your field. You do need to be able to share your information while applying your technological skill and making sure other people understand the value that you need as well as what they require. And I think QSs need to snap out of it. Honestly, I, I can say that with every sort of, I can even say it louder if you want. You don't know the power of the dark side yet if you haven't been there to try it. And as soon as you start to see the design tool functionality and the, the actual uh, requirements that you need, you then can start, start speaking the right language to your design team. Not just talk about standards, because we have to talk about the methods of information delivery and the technical specifications. The modeling conditions are all different depending on your profession. And I think from my, my experience in the last, being the baron of BIM with Exceptional BIM, we have well over a thousand learners right now in Exceptional BIM. And we Amazing. get the same technical question every single time. There is a severe, regardless if you've been in a mandated firm um, environment for the last five years, there is a severe industry-wide technical skills gap among quantity surveyors, and there still is a huge resistance to change that creates the sceptical response to a, maybe what I call a sporadic upskilling effort by design software vendors that is often seen by a ploy, by software, by QSs as a ploy by vendors to sell their software, where it's not. This, we need a, co- a cohesive industry, an industry-wide strategy, not just a, a UK boom strategy or a, an ISO standard strategy. We need a strategy yeah. that is designed to retain as well as upskill professionals and encourage standardization depending on the country because everyone, every country has a different policy. Every country has a different culture. And at the top, We always talk about people, processes, and technology. People. And if your government is not driving change or your company is not driving change, you need to still grow your wings and and realize the opportunity out there because you will die a very slow professional death if you do not transform with these technical advancements. That's a lot. Again, sorry.
0: <laughs> I love it. You know what? I enjoyed it. I just, you know, it's just, it, it's, I find it very interesting, and I quite like um, a candid conversation because, you know, we might have different perspectives on certain things. We might. Uh, you know, there's certain bits which I don't fully understand the complexities because I haven't worked with a QS on BIM for many, many years. And when I was in an office, it was different. But I can understand where you're coming from. And I think there's were, there's definitely a lot of pearls of wisdom in there. And I respect you for saying I'm not going to tell an architect what to do because, fair enough, I completely agree. Architects, don't worry. Uh The Baron is not telling you what to do. But so let's talk a little bit about... Cause, and I'm going to do a complimentary sidestep. So, so let's put the BIM box aside for one second. What I find really interesting and, uh, and, you know, I admire one way. So you've got the BIM Academy in Africa, right? There was something in you. And I want this, this, I want to understand the Baron a bit. And later we're going to come to the BIM bazooka, the BIM zooka. (laughs) All right, which we to save the best for last, though, because that is the best. Uh, But uh, what I'm really interested in, there's been something which has drawn you to come on this podcast. There's something which has drawn you to set up a YouTube channel. There's something which has drawn you to set up the BIM Institute for Africa, you know, the BIM Academy Africa, and now Exceptional BIM. And that interests me a lot. As, as a content creator, as someone that kind of built a community in architecture, and, and I, I enjoy that as well. What kind of drove you to, to well, I guess it's starting with the BIM Institute for Africa, right? And your role there as an editor and founder of BIM Academy Africa.
1: Yeah. Look, I'm not going to throw my, my sorrow stories around with COVID-19. We, we all have them. But in February 2020, a organization that had acquired the BIM Academy Africa, 100% right. equity. And we closed shop, we closed books, we closed office. And on the 13th of March, we got a Dear John letter to say, due to force majeure, we will not be acquiring a business anymore. Right. Unemployed from director down, no more jobs. We closed. And Ooh. we literally had nothing. We started from scratch for seven months. We rebuilt ourselves, and that's a literally us restart, reset ourselves with a new opportunity. We embrace the reset. I've never seen myself, you know, grabbing an opportunity so down, and I think so many can relate to this. But, you know, my statement for 2021 has been 2021 is not a year of hope. It's about how you learn to be exceptional. And whatever path you choose, will be your destiny for this new world order, if you want to call it that. And that's the passion I wake up every morning. And we developed Exceptional but That's what it is, being exceptional in what you do. So we created this really fascinating, one-of-a-kind type of learning platform where where we see uh, all our courses are pretty much gamified. And we support a set of leader badges that are awarded to you based on your learning behavior And the goals that you achieve while you're doing those courses, helping you to engage with other learners, other experts, industry technology, finding out the best of the best on the web. And Mm. that way you unlock these various leaderboard badges that brings you up the tier. So now you're not handing over a, a CV in PDF format. You're handing over a digital badge that is encrypted with all your hours of learning, what you've learned, the software you've learned, the experience you have. And that that allows you now to, to share your achievements, most important through social media platforms. But it also helps the learner understand and open up these open BIM badges that we've created. And it's a whole new way of thinking about learning, which no one's ever done.
0: Yeah, just talk about that because that's interesting because we have a mutual friend, Pierre, and um, one of the things that I have talked with him and I believe he might have talked with you about is kind of I have a perspective on because I don't do BIM anymore, but I do recruitment and part of recruitment is you have certain Revit software right which can people put questions in as they they blow the bin model they put questions and answers and that kind of there or thereabouts gives a score which indicates how good someone is in revit and i think that that sometimes isn't the best indicator it's better than no indicator but more importantly than that though forget the test for one second there's a i've got a um, bigger issue with at the moment this i think that there's so much information there's so many courses and like a good example is there's a few courses online where you attend and there's this thing of like if you attend the course you get a certificate right and it kind of breeds this culture of i think where it's almost like I'll put the course in the background. You fill out a few tick boxes. You haven't really soaked in the lesson. You haven't actually gained something, but you do it to get a certificate, right? And the reason I know this exists is because I've done it so many times. So let me tell you, right? I worked in Waitrose in the UK, and Waitrose is a supermarket store, okay? And so when I was uh, studying to become an architect, I had to work in the supermarket store and they were good to me. I'm not having a go, but I was 18 at the time. I was studying in architecture. I was going out on the raz, you know, having a few drinks in London at the time. And I was working in Waitrose to earn money. And one of the things was of course you had to do health and safety, you know, how to stack the shelves, which spray to use. You had to do all that stuff. And you had to talk about how to pick up a box with your back. Right. And you know what? I was like, I haven't got time to learn this. So I used to literally go on the test, click the answers. i get half of them wrong. Oh, I've got to play the video again. And I would do this. And I would just kind of go on my phone and tap around. And I'd put in, instead of A, out uh, uh, would have A, B, C. Instead of A, I would put B. And I'd get it till I got the answers right. So then I could get the certificate, go to my bus, and go, there you are, I know the pickup box. And I could just carry on with work. And I think, right, there is a little bit of this culture online at the moment where it's about more about obtaining the the certificates rather than obtaining the value or the lesson. Um, then, so you get what I mean? So it's like, it's more, I'm more interested. If you've got the ability to do something, so let's apply it to a practical means. So. I'm less interested about the certificate for the BIM course in the prospective candidates who so in recruitment, right? But I'm more interested in their ability. And so some of the best BIM specialists that I've met have been an architectural designer. And I'll meet them in recruitment. And they haven't got the bells and whistles but I'll go meet them in person. We'll talk about their portfolio. And they're like, I set up the BIM execution plan. I generated this script. I saved hundreds of man hours on this project. And I have a passion for BIM. And I'm like, you are the real deal. And that's the person that usually is underpaid and then gets a good job and and they get that role and as a BIM coordinator or BIM manager or whatever. I'll take a breather. That was like my little rant, you know, like we all have our little rants here. But that's the thing that frustrates me at the moment is this chasing online certificates rather than the real value, which is, your own personal development, personal learning. And when you were talking about that earlier, kind of gamifying it, it it must be, I'm sure that's one of the things that you're trying to accomplish as well. But how do you feel about my mini rant on uh, (laughs) online learning via certificates? Your
1: mini rant has just cracked open the safe of Pandora's box, you realize that.
0: So it's time yeah. to load
1: up that blimzuka because I'm ready to use it.
0: <laughs> are we are we loading up? I, I might have to get like a sound effect on this just purely for you, you know? We need like Ar- we need like Arnie and Commander, the sound effect when he's throwing the grenades in.
1: Yeah, so look, to answer that question, it's quite simple. Uh, not not the Arnie side on my side. <laughs> um you're right. You, if you look at LinkedIn, uh lynda.com was now which is quite LinkedIn. It's all about getting a certification. And unfortunately, that worked a few years back. Now, the impact of change in organizations adopting change, certification means nothing. And, you know, as I always say, everyone in the industry can call themselves an expert. But you... What's the saying? I've forgotten how to say it again. Let me try it again. Everybody in the industry can can call themselves an expert, but... A certification will only lead to you thinking that you are an expert if you cannot transfer your skills to the rest of the party within the industry or learners. Now, what we did at Exceptional BIM is we broke it into three tiers. And I have a very heavy martial art background. So I, I like that a lot of people say to me, yeah, oh, but BIM is not uh, martial arts. No, it's not. It's a new way of thinking. So if you want to be a BIM ninja, That's fine. We'll start you off with the appreciation and the scope of the fundamentals that are required to understand the software, may it be an architectural estimating or construction. That's great. The learner then gets the opportunity to learn the fundamentals of the software in tier one. And you can remain Mm. a BIM ninja for as long as you want. That could be the BIM manager. I don't care. But then we take you to another tier. We take you to tier two, which we call you the BIM warrior. That BIM warrior, you've you've just been graded. And that grading is a gamification process. And that tier allows you to focus on the principles as well as the practices of, of BIM, looking at the different protocols around the world, identifying BIM management tasks that are applicable, let's say, to the design, well, let's construction process. And the whole level of BIM warrior, if you want to call it that, or tier two, is to aim at developing the learner's knowledge and the skill and coordination, interpreting digital standards. He writes not one exam. It's based on gaming for gamification. So it mm. depends on how much time he's nurtured with other learners. Has he mentored? Has he created notes? Has he gone to the best of the web and shared what links that he's found on the web? And, and he's learned how many hours did he spend on a case study? Where did he get that case study? Did he share it with other learners? And with gaming, you can work your way up the ranks and you can see how far that person is up the, the ladder. And that forces you to to try and challenge him. Then we get Mm. to that tier three. That tier three for me is the Bumbashidu. He's he's that samurai. He's learning about examining how architects should engage with guidelines with various stages of client versus architect perspective. We look at the estimator and the construction techniques and how procurement versus operation is seen. And the understanding the importance of a quantity surveyor's role within uh, levels of measurement, levels of information, need, whatever his job may be. But most important is leadership skill. And that's where we Mm. started the rules of engagement. We don't talk about software. We don't talk about companies. We don't talk about previous projects. We talk about the nuts and bolts that drives and encourages learners to understand leadership. And using the social mechanics, using the learning dynamics that we've given the, the users within this, this compelling gamification experience, it now allows you to tap into the learner's emotions and demonstrates easily the best activities of the audience that you want to engage with. So that that's pretty much what I'm, I'm sure has answered your question.
0: Yeah, I like it. I think it's, um, I, and as well, it's interesting because, Courses and online, I kind of feel like as well. It's it's a two way relationship. I mean, the course you can only do so much as the person puts in as well. You know, it's gamification, but it requires someone to play and learn within the game, and that that's why I think as well, and that's what I appreciate about what you're doing with Exceptional BIM is that you know if you're gonna put if you're gonna build this except you know this platform for Exceptional BIM, which offers a lot of value, the reality is it relies on someone to participate, and I think that's that's the kind of the interesting thing at the moment with these kind of online free courses and getting certificates. Is the point is you've built this for people to learn from and. The, the reality is, you probably couldn't do what you're on about if someone's on their iPhone in the background, you know, doing the laundry. And it, it's, it's all about personal growth. And I think that that's the thing that I would like, especially anyone listening here to take away from even our chat or this little part of the chat is that actually, I think it's about what, what, what you put in is what you get out. And the point is, is that when I was in Waitrose stacking the shelves, I learned, I learned nothing about health and safety and I probably pulled my back. And that's why they, now that's why i'm hobbling around and all this stuff because i didn't i didn't i didn't learn i didn't learn and i found that um the point is it's like anything is that um a self-help book is only as good as if you learn it or what you gain from it and Going to see a bims uh, you know as an online free bim course is only as good as what you gain from it of course there 's content value, but I think the word i 'm looking for is accountability on both sides i mean you 're accountable for providing the software and gamifying, but the person that 's using it has got to be accountable as well, and I think that 's the kind of the interesting um, bit where we 're at the moment where I think as well, and one of the things that i 've learned on the architecture social for instance Vaughn, is that um I can do all the videos in the world for how to send CVs and portfolios and use the techniques that I believe in that will get people a job. And I've seen it and people that do it do get results. And I think it's like personal training is that, you know, you've got to turn up to the lessons and you've got to do it. But if you don't apply the things that I'm talking about or if you don't participate, and if you don't learn, you won't get results. You'll be like me. when Years ago, when I used to go to the gym, I used to go like, I don't know, once or twice a month, not properly serious. And then I'm like, oh, I haven't really gained any muscles this month. It's because I haven't gone. I haven't done anything. And I think that's why it's definitely worth checking out. But is that a fair comment, do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm to agree with you more. I think, you know, in my closing too, I think I could probably say, you know, the same. But I think if we look at how technical transfer transformation, whether if you've embraced it during lockdown or not, yeah, it's indeed, it's, it's inevitable. And at the same time, the company that you work for or you as an individual, you need to redefine yourself or even reset yourself. You know, it's as much of the old grind can only be automated, you know, leaving us with our training and experience and making that high level decision and the tweaks without the donkey work behind it is absolutely, mm. you know, great. But, you know, this all sounds great when you say that. Yet these new roles, these new digital workflows, these standards that we're looking at, it's going to be a tough change. And mm. no one likes, as I said, no one likes instant change. It's going to have to be, the change is imminent, if you like it or not. It, just, it really depends on how you adopt or doubt. So, you know, I go again by the same thing, and I want to say that. Let 2021 not be a year of hope. It's about learning. Be exceptional. Mm. Go on to exceptional boom. We provide copious amounts of free learning. This year, it's super exciting for us. Uh, please, I, uh, anyone is listening, we've got some really exciting new content coming. A lot of it's free uh, across the disciplines. And whatever path you choose, just make sure you choose the one that's going to set your destiny for this this new world the as I like to call it.
0: Brilliant. I think that's great. And so we're approaching the around the 50-minute mark. So before, I, because I think now is quite a nice wavelength, and, and we've talked about, so what we've covered You, we've covered QS, we've covered um, the role of an architect, we've talked about that, we've talked about learning. I've kind of gone off on a passionate tangent about my experience in super, supermarket stacking shelves, and we're going to save the best for last. So let's talk a bit about the Bimzooker at the moment, right, okay? So what what made you this? So obviously different cultures, different walks of life and different things. Personally, I don't, I'm in the UK. I don't own any weapons. This is a different kind of culture. You know what I mean? I'm mean, illusion. The the I mean the the sharpest thing I've got is in my house is a kitchen knife, and even then I don't even know how to use it. You know what I mean? But so I'm gonna put on here the picture of you, which I think is fantastic, <laughs> and I hope anyone <laughs> that is gonna watch this. Do you know what? I'm gonna tend to call this like the late night show because of the tone of the conversation, um, <laughs> the late night show. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put the picture of you with your uh, your bimzooka on the front okay mm-hmm. so uh so more specifically than why you got it i want to know what what made you call it the bimzooka is it your past you must be the only uh like in my head you're on a Schwarzenegger kicking ass in on the you know in the war zone and you're a bimmer that's insane that's <laughs> a that's a, that's a that's two worlds which i thought never would marry
1: <laughs> no my wife asked the same question. I still like to dress up in my um, my army outfit. I I serve special forces as a paratrooper, but hence the reason. Not all the equipment I had on me there was me owned. I don't own any of that. <laughs> I left it behind when I met, left the army. I also I also own a filming business, and we shoot different scenes and sets where, anywhere from extreme sports and that. And having access to the Cape Town film industry for me. Is absolutely still one of my hobbies and passion. That we set up green screens, we we big into families, leadership, um, growth skills with kids. We believe that too many kids sit on screens. My kids have their own channel for skill sports development, and everything behind the camera is what builds you today with with your. Uh, it gives you your your status of who you are. It teaches you to. It gives you that. Opportunity. See, I'm already being bugged by my kids. They're right you know? here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we'll tell They won't be long. <laughs> uh, yeah, won't I, be long. I think, yeah, the full. I, if, I have a passion for forming in media. So, hence the reason why I have a lot of pops.
0: And, uh, oh, <laughs> I, you know, there was a part of me that wanted it to be real. So we smashed. It. I I should. Do you know what? Instead of all our little swearing and everything earlier on banter, I don't want to censor that, but I might censor at the fact that the bimzook is actually a prop. I want to. I want to dream. I want it to be real. But I. I, I respect. I respect that. And that look, I mean, I haven't shot one. <laughs> <laughs> wow there it's you go there well i've served in the army you know and as, it's a different i've I've never so look i mean it's it's important I, you know i respect you for doing that and you know it's i guess now the myths then and now i know it's all facade. as my wife says,
1: well why to, did you always have to jump out of a perfectly good working airplane never get that
0: You know what? Well, we're gonna put on the cover. I wonder if I have one person saying you're glorifying weapons, and I'll be like, You didn't listen to the 52-minute mark. It's a prop.
1: (laughs) You got it. I love it.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. So so for anyone that is not familiar with you, so there's a few places they can find you. You're on the architectural social. So and I believe you're tireless. If you type in the Baron, you will find you on them. You're on LinkedIn as well, aren't you? So Vaughan Harris, we're gonna put all the details in here. You can click the links, we'll make it really easy for anyone, but they can reach out to you there. And as well as that, you've got your own company websites, I imagine, do you wanna let us know how everyone can get in contact with you?
1: Yeah, I think it's exceptionalbim.com, pretty much straightforward. Uh you can leave a message, it'll come to me through some channel or another.
0: amazing amazing all right fantastic all right baron we need to get you back at some point maybe when the uh, maybe it will pick up a, a particular topic i really appreciate everything that you've put online i really appreciate it being part of exceptional bim and cheers to an exceptional 2021 yeah, we'll see we'll, we'll see okay. how it goes thank you so much van the baron thanks and thanks for your time see you I later just bye bye